Okay, can you hear me? I guess you can. <laughs> okay, let's go to God in prayer. Uh, dear Father, we really want to pray that during this time, you help us to understand your word, help us to take it in, and help us to be shaped by your word, so that we may be pleasing before you, and uh, that we may have the right to call ourselves your people. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now there's a saying uh, that uh, no man is an island. Have you ever heard that before, that no man is an island? And basically what it says is that no one is completely independent of the times that they live in. Or they are no longer independent of the people that they live with. Or the people are completely immersed, isn't it, with the attitudes and ideas of the world around him. And I think that's really true, that you can't run away from the world that we live in. It's just, that's just life, isn't it? And the world that we live in will shape the way that we look at things and view things. Hey, you don't believe me? Let's do this simple experiment, okay? Interactive sermon. <coughs> okay, so you look at this, um, these two lines, right? Which is the longer line? The lower one, isn't it? Okay, if, it's, if you think it's the top one, I suggest you go and see optometrist after the, the sermon. Okay, so the lower line is the longer one. Now, what would happen if you happen to sit with everybody else and everybody else around you said the top line is the longer one? Now, I think uh, you would be hard-pressed to then put out your hand and say, no, I think the longer one is the bottom one, isn't it? And they've actually had experiments to prove this where they will bring a whole bunch of people there and there will be one poor, unfortunate soul, right, who would be completely oblivious and everybody else will be told by the scientists, okay, we want you to pick the top line, okay, to say it's a longer one. And what they found is almost every time the person who's the guinea pig in that big group will, will look at the line and think, well, maybe my eyesight is not very good today, right? Maybe I don't understand what's happening. Maybe I just, I heard the instructions wrong and, and almost every time they will say, I think the top line is the longer one. And that's actually the power of influence or the power of suggestion, the power of persuasion, from the people around us. And I think that it works for us as well as Christians. It works for us as a church because we are influenced by the people around us. We are influenced by the society around us. And I think that's particularly true as we look at the book of 1 Corinthians today because we're going to do a summary of 1, chapter 1 to 7. All right? Now, the book uh, in Corinth, uh, Corinth is this city <coughs> uh, where the red dot is. Okay, now, uh, I can see it perfectly well from here. I don't know where you can see it at the back there. But the red dot where Corinth was is a very strategic place. If you wanted to ship any goods from Italy to the Middle East, you would probably ship it to Corinth and then Corinth would then ship it onwards for you later to the Middle East. Or if you want to go the other direction from the Middle East to Italy, you do the same thing. Or if you wanted to ship goods down from Europe, down to Greece and Macedonia, you probably go through the, the port of Corinth. So Corinth was actually a very strategic place. It was full of people, attracted people from everywhere. Right from the north, south, east, west. So it was a very multicultural place. It was the third largest city of the empire and where people were very interested in money. Right? They come to the city to make money. So just like our forefathers came to Singapore to become coolies, so they become taukes, right? So people used to go to Corinth in order to become wealthy. So it brought a lot of people there who wanted to make money, all sorts of people. So therefore, it's not very hard to understand that this place was also a place of low sexual morals. Okay? Uh, 
This is not being recorded, so I can say anything I want, right? I mean, Singapore is a bit like that, right? People say, oh, there's no sex trade in Singapore. Well, actually, there is a sex trade. You just go to Geylang, Orchard Towers, or maybe you go to Hotel 81 in the corner there, right? There is a sex trade in Singapore, right? Where there is money, there will be a sex trade. And that's true of Corinth. And in fact, the sex trade in Corinth was so great that the name became synonymous with sexual morality. So in the ancient world, there was a word where it says, somebody said to you, you are a Corinthian soul. That means, that's the actual word, right? If you are you're like someone like in Corinth, that means what it's saying to you is, is, is actually an insult, you know, to say that you are like a Corinthian. Because it's to say that you have low sexual morals. Right? It's, it's, it's like saying to someone, you play soccer like a British person. Right, you know? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an insult, okay? It's an insult. And that's what happens here, right? In the city of Corinth, it was a growing city, multicultural, people obsessed with money, different ideas, but also with a lot of sexual morality. And if you look at the book of 1 Corinthians, that's exactly mirrored in the church. Because when I think of the book of 1 Corinthians, it is a problem book. It's a pro- book about problems. When you come to other books in the Bible, like say the book of Romans, it's about theological issues, right? Talking about theological, deep theological issues. You come to the book of Acts or the Gospels, it's all about history, what happens to Jesus or the early church. But you come to the book of 1 Corinthians, it's about problem after problem after problem. And it's problems which have been, been coming to the Apostle Paul through the reports about the city or someone writing to him about these problems. So you turn to me to your Bibles in one chapter one verse eleven. And I'll give you an example, right? Chapter one verse eleven. Okay. Yeah, Alan, can you speak? Turn up the speaker a bit. Sorry. Uh, okay, chapter one verse eleven. You see there, my brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. Okay, so uh, in the very beginning, he already says, "Look, I've been I've been informed by people that there are quarrels among you." In chapter 5, turn to me to chapter 5, verse 1. Chapter 5, verse 1. Okay, turn over the page. If you're not flicking over the page, I can hear you, right? Okay. Chapter 5, verse 1 says the same thing. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not even occur among pagans. A man has his father's wife. So, again, there's been a report that has reached the ears of the Apostle Paul what's happening in Corinth. Chapter 7, verse 1. Now, for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry. So, again, somebody has written to Paul and said, look, what are we going to do about marriage? Like, some people have these attitudes. What should I be doing? So, it's a bit like, so the book of 1 Corinthians is a bit like, uh, the, you know, someone has been informing and he's been collecting all this information about the church and he's writing it systematically. These are the problems or these are the things that you've passed about. And when you look at the book of 1 Corinthians, as we saw in chapter 1, verse 7, 1 to 7, that there are three really big problems in the church. Okay, just three big problems. The first problem is about quarreling and arguing with one another, and it gets so bad that they're actually having lawsuits with one another. Okay, lawsuits among the church members. Okay, they were following different leaders and super personalities. Okay, so here it is, chapter 1, verse, one, uh, verse 10, we already read it. See, it says there in chapter 11, uh, verse 11, right, my brothers, Some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. And another, I follow Cephas. And still another, I follow Christ. Uh, In chapter 3, verse 3, it says, You are still worldly. 
For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For one says, I follow Paul, another I follow Paulus. Are you not mere men? So here, a church full of quarreling, conflict, following different factions, okay, dividing the church. Okay, that's one of the problems of the church. The second problem that we found is, uh, last year when we looked at it was that there's a lot of ego. A lot of ego in the church. And they were having pride in non-spiritual issues. So, some people were saying that they had this special wisdom, no esoteric wisdom. Esoteric wisdom is like wisdom which is only limited to a certain limited class of people. Right? So some people felt that spiritual knowledge which other people didn't have. Some other people felt that they were, they were more blessed in terms of some sort of status, uh, in terms of society, so God had blessed them. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says this, Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about men. No more boasting about men. So here... You have factions and divisions and quarreling. You have pride over human things. And last of all, the other problem was sexual morality. Okay, gross sexual morality. There was a church member who was, who was having sex with his stepmother. And there were people who were having sex with prostitutes. And there were people who thought that it was okay to have casual sex, but you know, they would still be safe. So chapter 5, 6 and 7 speak of this issue. Right? It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that does not occur even among pagans. A man has his father's wife. Chapter 6. Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one of her in body? So the church has lots of problems. Okay, Lots of deep-seated problems. Divisions, pride, law, uh, morality in the church. And it reflects the time of culture that they lived in. But I think it's really helpful for us because before we pat ourselves on the back and say, oh, you know, we're not like the Corinthians. We are exactly like the Corinthians, right? We ourselves live in a time where it's very common for people to quarrel and churches and people in churches to quarrel. We live in a time where uh, in churches in Singapore today, there are powerful personalities which draw people to themselves and are opposed to other people. We live in a time where there's sexual, sexual confusion in the church. So just as an example, I, I picked out a few. I remember having a um, conversation with a friend of mine. And he said that actually within the church, there were these people who were actually having a lawsuit against each other. Can you believe that? They're having a lawsuit against each other. But on Sunday, they'll come to church and be really friendly. Hi, hi, hi. But then, no, I'll see you in court tomorrow, right? Okay? But it's really weird, isn't it? Right? And then, you know, I've had other churches where people are split into factions, really powerful leaders who are against the pastor or this elder against this other elder. I'm sure maybe you've heard of it before. Some other churches are very proud, isn't it? That somehow they have special knowledge. I remember going to a mega church, right? And this mega church uh, pastor, he said in his own words that his church had a special anointing so that, you know, they had special wisdom. And this is what he said, right? I can't believe he said that. He said, okay, the God works in two ways. The first wave was the Reformation. 
The next wave was when God's Holy Spirit anointed our church. I was thinking, wow, that's really amazing, right? You're saying that the t- a great turning point in history like the Reformation, right, is what's happening to your church today. But that's human pride, isn't it? That somehow you've got some b- spiritual insight and wisdom that is beyond other people. Sexual confusion is out there in the churches as well. There is a youth leader that I spoke to before who went to three years of theological college. But after three years of theological college, told me that he can't, can't decide what the Bible says about homosexuality. Kind of a waste of three years, right? I mean, three years you can't even be clear about what the Bible says of homosexuality when it's quite clear that the Bible says it's not right. But that's because he's been confused with the spirit of this age. Isn't it? So therefore, what is the answer of 1 Corinthians to these problems? What is the answer to the problem of division, pride, sexual confusion? Well, the answer is, Paul says here, is we must think correctly and rightly about the church. What is the church? So think for a moment, how would you answer the question if I came to you and said, why do you come to church? Why do you come to church? What is the use of the church? What is the church? So how, how would you answer those questions? Okay, let me choose someone. Uh, okay, just kidding. Okay, uh, now if you answer that question, you said, what is the use of the church? Why do you come to church? And what is church? And you, and you began the answer by saying, you know, the church is about what it can give me. Right? Or somehow the answer is, uh, the church has something about where I'm the center of the answer. Then that's where Corinthians says that it's completely wrong. Right? Because the church is not about you, but the church is about God, isn't it? The church is about God. So the first thing that um, uh, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians is that the church must reflect God's holiness. The church must reflect God's holiness and goodness. Right in the very beginning, chapter 1, verse 2, remember we read this? Uh, Keith read this to us. Right, verse 2. Next slide. Look what it says. Remember what it said. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Now, notice there, it says that the people who make up the church are those who are sanctified in Christ and called to be holy. Notice the tense that it is past tense. It does not say to those people who are being sanctified or being made holy. They are already called to be holy. They are already sanctified. So what it's saying here is, the church, we are made up of people who are already sanctified in Christ. We are already called to be holy. So when we come to church, right? I like what someone said, we are becoming what we already are. We are becoming what we already are. We are already sanctified in Jesus. We are already holy. But we are becoming, we are in the process of realizing what we are really like before God, which is sanctified and holy. So when someone says to you, right, what is BTPC like? What is your church like? Uh, the answer is not, it is Presbyterian. Right? Okay? <laughs> we are a Presbyterian church. Okay? The answer is, we are a holy church. We are a holy church because we reflect God, isn't it? 
Because this is not our church, you know? I mean, even though you may be a member of this church, it is not your church. It is God's church. That's what it says there, right? To the church of God in Corinth. We are God's church. And therefore, we must reflect God's character. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it, it builds on this idea, right? That it is God's church. On the next slide. So, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? And that God's Spirit lives in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. Now, <clears throat> when you look at the you there, many times people read it and think you is singular, isn't it? You is in me. Andrew Wong, Keith, Justin, you know, talking to me as individuals, but it's not that actually. The, 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 when you look at this, the you there is actually a plural. Uh, it's like uh, this Australian word, use. Right? It's, like, it's not just one person, it's a corporate thing. So he's, Paul is saying, don't you as a corporate know that you all as a church are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you all? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is sacred and you all are that temple. So what Paul is saying, what God is saying is, God's Church, all of us here, all of us here are God's temple. Together, corporately, we are to represent God who is sacred. And therefore, there must be no immorality in the church. There must be no uh, sin in the church because that is not what the church is about, isn't it? That's not what God's church is about. It's not what God's character is about. Therefore, it says there in chapter 5, right, when he talks about, uh, in chapter 5 here, the, the, the bottom verse is about how they tolerate uh, this man who is sleeping with his stepmother. And Paul says, Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that the, you may be a new batch without yeast. Now, the yeast here is like this uh, impurity, right? There, be a new batch without impurity, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. See, Jesus has died so that his church will be pure. Get rid of the impurity within the church. That's what he's saying. You see, it's a bit like cancer. You know cancer, when you have cancer in your body? You need to cut off that cancer, isn't it? Because if not, the cancer will spread through the rest of the body. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying sin in the church must be cut off because if not, it spreads and corrupts the whole church. See, far worse than this man committing the sexual sin was what Paul was saying was that the church was tolerating the sin within its midst. Now, it's not to say that we are perfect. It's not to say that we do not sin. Because we will sin and we are not perfect. But what Paul was saying is we cannot tolerate unrepentant, rebellious sin in our midst. We may fall in sin and and we may pick ourselves up and fall in sin again, but we will recognize the sin as wrong, as having no place among God's people, as something that we are ashamed of, something that we will not tolerate, something that we will try to avoid at all costs. But what was happening was, the church in Corinth was saying, it's okay, you know, church is about love, you know, fuzzy, warm love, we will tolerate you, we will forgive you, it's okay, like, you can just leave your, your stepmother, there's no problem. Right? But the problem is, that is not church, isn't it? That is society. 
Society is about tolerance, you notice? Society is about where you do your thing, I do my thing, we don't disturb each other, right? Peace. Okay? <laughs> we just don't, uh, right? Like, my, my parents used to tell me, you know, ah, yeah, why you go and bother other people? Don't, don't go and catch out people, lah, right? Okay, they do their own thing, they want to sleep around, right? What are you going to disturb them for? But what Paul is saying here is that the church is a place where we help one another grow in godliness. I was reading this thing about uh, Facebook. I know that many of you are on Facebook since it's the younger congregation, right? And, um, you know, there's something about how friendship in the past is very different from friendship today. Because in the past, friendship is about helping one another grow to become better people, right? To bring out your better self. That's what your friends are supposed to do. They're supposed to help you, you know, grow in terms of your own, uh, your own mutual improvement. But you see that today, we don't have that view of friendship anymore, see? Today, friendship is about what they call therapeutic friendship, therapy friendship, where we want to just make each other feel good in a non-judgmental way. And uh, that's why Facebook is so good, you see? That's what this person is saying. Because Facebook is all about just telling people about what's happening in your life, and everybody is just there for you, right? They're just like, okay, yeah, I did this, that's good for you. Right, I ate this, I went here, I did this, but... But it's not a judgmental thing. Right? You never see anybody put a comment on Facebook. Oh, that's terrible, right? You shouldn't have done that, right? Because, you know, usually if you see somebody do something and you don't like it, you just don't write anything, right? Isn't it? That's true, isn't it? See, then that's what modern society is like. You go watch all the, uh, the comedies, right? Like Friends or Desperate Housewives or something like that, right? Nobody judges anybody. You just do what you want, but, you know, we'll still be friends, right? But you see, that's not what church is about. We become the church... We do Bible study and fellowship. It's not about just expanding your mind, but it's about helping one another grow in godliness. It means that, and it doesn't mean that we become like uh, this uh, busy bodies or gossips, right? You know, so when we see someone sitting, it's like, oh, you know, that person, uh, yeah, you know. We don't, we're not here to become gossips or busy bodies. But what the Bible says is that we are here, so that if you see someone doing something wrong, you see someone sinning, then maybe you should take aside your brother and sister in Christ and say, you know, maybe that's what the Bible is saying. You, maybe you should change, isn't it? So as part of God's church, not our church, do you take sin seriously? Do you take holiness seriously in life? Do you take holiness and sin seriously in the lives of the people around you? Because you are sanctified, you have been called to be holy and we are to help each other as God's church to be holy. Now the second thing that uh, Paul talks about here is the disunity of the church. Because not only is the church meant to be holy, it's meant to be united. And the reason why it's supposed to be united is because it represents the body of Christ. We are here the body of Jesus Christ. Do you know that we are here as a body of Jesus Christ? See, look what it says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Right? So here, the people are following Paul, Apollos, see first, follow, follow Paul, and I want you to pay attention to the last verse, verse 13. He says, in response to all this quarreling, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? And the answer is no, 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 isn't it? Christ is not divided. 
Andrew Wong was not crucified for you, right? And Sui Teng, you're not baptized in the name of Sui Teng, right? Okay? Because we are all united because of what Jesus has done. We are the body of Christ. And that's why it was really good because when, uh, when we did the responsive reading, do you remember Jesus said to Paul on the road to Damascus, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Right, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? But at the time Jesus was up in heaven, so how did Paul persecute Jesus? Uh, unless Saul went to heaven to persecute him? No, isn't it? Paul persecuted the church. And in persecuting the church, he was persecuting Jesus Christ. And what the Bible says is that if you divide the church because of your own sinfulness, you are dividing the body of Jesus Christ. If you treat other people unlovingly, you insult them, you tear into them, you are actually tearing into the body of Jesus Christ. So what is the use of church? The use of the church is to manifest the body of Christ, the united body of Christ in the world. Now I think that it's got a few implications for us, isn't it? Because our unity is not based on worldly things. We are not united here because we are all of a certain education level. We are not united here because we all uh, are uh, earning a certain wage. Uh, we are not united here because you know, we all have a certain interest in a particular sport. We are united here because we are all in Christ. The world unites itself based on external things, right? Money, race, colour, education, status, class. But we don't unite ourselves that way. We are united in Christ. Now, I remember um, I was reading this book during my holiday called The Skeletons in the Sahara. And uh, it's about this guy who got shipwrecked. And they uh, talked about how there was this very famous shipwreck in 1816. The shipwreck of the Meduse, some friendship or something, right? Where 150 people were shipwrecked in a, in a life raft. And here in this life raft, they divided themselves up, these 150 people, based on race, nationality, even by class and profession. And during the whole time of the shipwreck, they started killing and murdering each other based on the different uh, way they divided themselves. And it's so infamous that a picture, a painting was actually painted in 1819 called uh, some French name. And, uh, right? and you can see it today in the Louvre in Paris. Now this can be a picture of the church, you know. This can be a picture of the church where we divide ourselves up by our different classes, our different education, uh, our different interests, our different uh, whatever, and we start attacking one another. But that is not the way it should be because we are united as one body with one leader who is Jesus Christ. Last week I was speaking to a friend of mine and he's going back to Australia for holiday and he said, oh, don't worry, I'm going to church in Australia. He didn't come from our church so you, you don't know him. And he said, I'm going to a church in Australia. And I said, oh, that's good, that's good. He said, you know, my church, and I was like this, this. He said, but you know my church, huh? got mafia Christians. I said, what? Mafia Christians? What on earth is that? He said, yeah, I know. My church, there are these powerful families in the church. And they have all these factions and they fight against one another. They're mafia Christians, right? And I was thinking, that's, that's what a terrible way to, to describe your church, right? 
So your church is made up of mafia Christians with all these families, right? And their clans, whatever. Because that's not the way church is supposed to be like. We are a body of Christ with one head, Jesus Christ. Now that means that uh, Paul says we must make, and the Bible says we must make every effort to be united. Alright, go, uh, go back again, um, Alan. Alright, we must, we, must, we must all agree with one another, says that at the beginning. So that there may be no division, that we must be united, not just externally, but in mind and thought. And I think that's so important because unity begins with, with who? With you, with me. We can bring unity. In the world we live in, we are very uh, prickly people, right? We take offense very easily. Do you notice that? You look at the big organizations in Singapore, you look at clubs like SICC, Singapore Swimming Club, Chinese Swimming Club. They all have arguments to take each other to court, you know? You go to condominiums, you go on the road, right? People are always very sensitive. You know, like you, you accidentally cut someone, they think you're trying to run them off the road or something, right? Because we, are, we often take offense very easily and we want to, we want to right our perceived wrongs against us very easily. But that's not the way it should be for us at church. We should, we should overlook these problems. So Paul says, how far should we go, how far should we go to, to overlook these things done against us? And look, look at what Paul says. He says a very unique thing which we will never hear in the modern world. He talks about lawsuits. And he says, the very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you have already been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? He said. Now you'll never hear that from a lawyer in society, right? Right? Uh, excuse me, all the lawyers are here, right? But it's true, isn't it? You always say, no, we sh- you should get back at the person. You should fight for your rights, isn't it? But what Paul is saying here, look, he is willing to overlook slights and offenses. He is willing to overlook insults because of unity. Unity begins with us. We are the problem, not other people. We can overlook these insults. So there's this uh, story that was told. I'm sure it's all this is made up, right? Some pastor made the story up. But he said that um, uh, on this desert island, there was a man, one person on it by himself in this desert island. And he was a carpenter, so he could build all these things. So he built this wonderful house from the trees that he had made. So when the rescuers finally came, he said, wow, you're amazing, man. Look at this wonderful structure you made. He said, yeah, I can make all sorts of things. I made this house, and uh, I even made this church. He said, wow, that's amazing. You know, you've got a nice steeple and everything. And as, as the rescuers were walking along, they said, but why is there another church exactly the same further down the road? And the guy goes, that was the church I used to belong to. <laughs> right? So at the end of the day, I mean, it's just trying to show that actually the problem is us. You know? we, we, can, we can take offense of ourselves. We are the ones who take offense at people. Right. At the end of the day, what Paul is saying is, we should go the extra mile. Unity is important. Don't take, don't, don't take insults. Don't be prickly. Be allowing ourselves as a church to reflect the one body of Christ. So there are two things about the church. The church is God's church in it, so it must reflect His holiness. Because it's the body of Christ, it must reflect unity. The last thing is, the church is about the future. The eternal future is about the eschaton, or eschatology, which is a technical word for the end times. 
That is where the church is heading towards. I think that Paul sees that a lot of the problems of the church in Corinth, I think with our church as well, is that we think the church is about the present. Uh, the church in Corinth thought that they had already arrived, that heaven had already arrived. They thought that they got everything already. And that's why in chapter uh, 4, this is what Paul says to them, right? He rebukes them. He says, Already you have all you want. Already you have become king. Rich, sorry. You have become kings and that without us. How I wish you had really become kings so that we might be kings with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like men condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to men. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honoured, but we are dishonoured. Can you see the sarcasm dripping off the words of uh, the Apostle Paul? He's saying, look, Yes, you know, yeah, yeah, you think you already arrived, right? Yes, in the, way, in the ways of the world, in the ways of today, yeah, you're very rich, yeah, yeah, you know, you're kings, you know, you're wise, you're honoured, but actually, you're not. You're not all of these things. In God's eyes, you're not rich. In God's eyes, you're not honoured. In God's eyes, you're not wise. Because what counts is not the present or today, but what counts is everything seen from the perspective of the end. The church is about salvation. Judgment, heaven and hell, these are the things that preoccupy the church, not what happens today. So, when you ask the question, what is the church? Well, if you think that the church is in order for you to be blessed in this present life, riches, honour, wisdom, status, power, applause, then the Bible says, well, wrong church for you, right? That's not God's church. But many people actually see church that way. They think the worship of God is to bless them in this present life. They think that this world is all there is, that they've already arrived. But Paul says no. Paul says that this life, this church that we live in, is preparation for the real life in heaven. Eternal life. He says in chapter 7 verse 29, which is the last section of uh, this, uh, chapter 1 to 7. Next slide, Alan. Look what he says here. He says, What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. You notice what he says here? He's saying that, what is the church to you? If you think the church for you is the answer to your present day issues of wealth, money, career, well, it's the wrong attitude, isn't it? Because how you see the future will determine how you live today. See, he says here, look, if you, if you see that the time is short and the eschaton or the end times is what really counts, then you will not be engrossed by the things of this world. Isn't that what he says there in verse 31? He said, in verse 30, you will not see things as being yours to keep. Because the focus is on the end, isn't it? Not on the present. So what we learn today, well, chapter 1 to 7, 
is basically the answer to the problems of the church. And Paul says the answer is to understand what church really means. And what does church really mean? It is God's church, not your church, not my church. It is God's church. And as God's church, it must reflect His holiness. As the body of Christ, it must reflect His unity. And as God's church, it must represent the eternal destination, which is heaven. Is that the way you see church today? In conclusion, I'm going to give you uh, three taglines from advertising, right? And I think advertising represents the way of the world very well. Okay. So maybe you can... Okay, this is interactive, so I'm going to get right. Okay. Because you are worth it. I think it comes from a credit card company, right? Something that says, because you are worth it, okay? You've got to buy it because you're worth it. I can't remember which credit card it is. There's another one that says, for the most important person in the world, you. Yeah, I think that's an insurance company or something, right? What's it, bank? I can't remember. And the last one, it's all about you. Okay, I think that was Singtel. Okay, it's all about you. And that reflects the world we live in, right? Because I'm the center of the world. It's all about me. For the most important person, who can it be? Not you, but must be must be me, right? Okay? And that reflects the way the world thinks. But what Paul is saying is, the church is not all about you. The church is not all about you being the center of uh, your world, right? The church is about God. It is God's church. Therefore, we must, as part of God's church, take purity and holiness seriously. Because that's what it means to be part of God's church. As part of God's church, as part of the body of Christ, we must take unity seriously. We must take the idea of unity as being intrinsic, an intrinsic part of the church. And lastly, how we view our times is not the present that's important, but the future. The end times, that is what's important. So as you come to church today, I hope that uh, you don't see church as uh, something that's a very private and personal thing. Right? Church is not uh, your quiet time that you uh, happen to have with other people sitting around you. Okay? Uh, you come as part of one big family. Church is not also you coming here and filling your personal spiritual shopping cart and then checking out. Okay? Church is, is all of us coming here as one people. We are connected in fellowship. And we are all working towards purity and unity and preparing for heaven. That's what we're doing here. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear loving and heavenly Father, as we come before you today, truly dear Father, we want to pray that you help us to see church as we should see it, that it is your church and not our church. That you help us to see that because you are holy, the church must represent your sacred and holy nature, that we have been sanctified and called to be holy. Help us to not tolerate sin, but to help one another escape from the clutches of sin. Dear Father, help us to see that the church is the body of Christ, that it must be united, and that we will work towards unity by overlooking the things that we do, the things that other people do, that we will always strive to be united, both in mind and thought. And last of all, there's a church where our orientation, our focus will always be the end times. 
that we will see that the present is passing away, but heaven is forever, and that we will work 